Welcome to Playthink, conversations about games, interactivity, art, and culture. This podcast is recorded live at the USC Game Innovation Lab, which is part of the USC Games program at the University of Southern California. For more information, follow us on Twitter at USC Game Lab, or visit our website at gameinnovationlab.com slash playthink. Thank you all for coming today. Welcome to Playthink. Today we'll be speaking with Adam Badawin. Uh, Adam is a, I have a bio here, which I will read. Uh, Adam Badawi is a computational social scientist and a PhD candidate in the political science department and informational science, information sciences institute, ISI, at the US, uh, University of Southern California. Working with the machine intelligence and data science lab, Adam uses machine learning, network analysis, and natural language processing to study and measure malicious activities and political behavior on online social networks. His latest research on the political misinformation campaign during the 2016 US presidential elections has been covered widely by various news outlets, including MIT Technology Review, Vox, and PBS NewsHour. So uh, welcome, Adam. Thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, and I am Jeff Watson. I'm a, an assistant professor here in the uh, Interactive Media and Games Division of the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Uh, and I, you know, I'm really interested in the ways that the technologies that we use to structure play uh, give rise to, uh, you know, all manner of performance. Um, and uh, often, the the kinds of performances that are given rise to by uh, you know, a, a technology of play, um, you know, are, are predicted by the people who designed the technology, and, and sometimes they're they're very sort of unpredictable uh, surprises. Um, so, so I, I want to get to talking to uh, your work and how it might connect to that sort of idea. But maybe if you could give us just a little bit of background, how you ended up doing this kind of work in the first place. How, what was the, your sort of trajectory into this research? Sure. So my trajectory was a little bit. Um kind of like unexpected. So I was, before the PhD, I was supposedly gonna be like a, a government person. I was uh, working in Egypt for the US embassy. And before that, you know, the Egyptian revolution happened. And I think I was like telling you before that, you know, one of the reasons why I went on the street to kind of like, you know, join the protest uh, was that they basically stopped all internet in the country. So there was no way to kind of like talk to each other. So I was like, why not just go down and see what's happening? Like, you know, the old way. So from that point onwards, I was interested in social movement overall. Social movement took over the Middle East, and um, I got interested in the subject. And my first job, I ended up not working for government. My first job pre-PhD was at Google, trying to kind of like, you know, place as next to content stuff like that. So I got a little exposure to machine learning overall and how to kind of like, you know, kind of like try to classify content and things of the sort. So when I started the PhD, I was like, I'm going to work on social movements. and Started working on like you know um, ISIS a little bit, although it's not a social movement, but kind of like you know how to spread content mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter or Facebook, and then I got to like election and things of sort. So it started with spread information related to social movement, but went to elections and other other uh, political kind of uh, phenomena. Well, as you undoubtedly have noticed by all the toys that are around here, like you're in a place of of play and entertainment. Uh, I think it's interesting that some of those formative moments for you were, uh, you know, one around around the Google stuff and sort of marketing, 
Um, and then also thinking about, I've read some of your work on ISIS, which you just mentioned, um, and, and some of the ways that you talk about that was the, the kind of, the ways that ISIS, part of what made them a successful operation on social media was the kind of spectacular, you know, bordering on kind of entertaining, but in the darkest imaginable way, um, material that they, that they use. So could you talk a little bit about the role of, of entertainment and spectacle in, in, in these kinds of social movements and how they unfold online? Actually, regards ISIS, kind of like the role of play is actually pretty big. When you compare ISIS to uh, Al-Qaeda, when Al-Qaeda recruits and tries to put things online, it's like in uh, websites, it's like Web 1.0, it's like, it's lengthy, it's like, you know, just like talks on and on about theology and doctrine and things of the sort. Right. ISIS comes into play and puts a lot of kind of like, you know, between courts, interesting videos of like, you know, you know, young men doing like action in foreign countries or, you know, conquering like a new city uh, or like, you know, things like exposing war, things of the sort. So for a lot of people who are, would be interested into this, just way more action oriented. Didn't focus a lot on like, you know, why we're doing these things of the sort, but kind of like, come here and you'll have fun. So, yeah. again, in a very negative way, but... <laughs> yeah. But yes, there's a difference in kind of how they display the message online. So, do you think there's something inherent to social media that makes messaging like that more kind of spectacular, fun, sticky kind of images move faster? Like something inherent to the medium um, that that maybe that was the secret that ISIS unlocked was oh hey this is what works really great in this context. And, and are there parallels to some of the stuff we've seen more recently? Definitely, like, basically more emotionally invested kind of message. So if you're going to talk about, oh, this happened, but this did not happen like, in an even way, that's not, like, the most likely message to kind of, like, spread across the network. Sometimes positive emotion can, you know, make a message more likely to spread, but a lot of times it is negative emotion. Negative emotion helps messages to spread across a network. So in this regard, yes, they're definitely most, usually more emotionally intensive and a lot of times more negative. Yeah. Um, another big piece, obviously, uh, that, that sort of pairs with uh, this sort of spectacular and emotional content end of it is the algorithmic end of it. Uh, was, was ISIS using algorithms and using um, uh, you know, machine learning or anything like that? Or were they more sort of riding on top of the system as it existed? Like it does, you don't need to use kind of like you know a machine learning algorithm, but they're doing a lot of like hashtag play. Mm -hmm. So they know when to post, which hashtag we know be used, which hashtags in which countries we kind of like you know will pop up and become like you know the most kind of like you know uh, retweeted or most like viral. So there's a lot of play into that, and people know it, and they use kind of like the hashtags that will or get will embedded within a certain conversation, if it's not like super related. So that was definitely happening. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a, a sort of a, another example of asymmetric warfare, where there, a relatively uh, modest investment can have uh, huge payoffs. Uh, could you speak a little bit about the, the sort of the size of the sorts of online operations that you observed uh, ISIS using? Um, and then maybe also talk about how those compare and scale to some of the stuff you observed in the 2016 election that came from the uh, Russian intelligence services. So, it's, to be very frank, it's kind of hard to talk about like the whole activity of ISIS right. because like right. as researchers, we get 
a glimpse of what's happening. So like my dad said it was like around like two million tweets from like ISIS members. I'm pretty sure that's a small fraction of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And for like the trolls, uh, we had like, you know, it was the people who spread them and things. The sort was few millions, the whole death was 43 million. But again, that was like, you know, a small kind of like, you know, percentage of what was what's happening. But in terms of like investment versus like what you get, it's like, you know, the, the price tag that was given to the tweets that was like, you know, kind of like bought onwards by the RA or like, you know, the basically the Russian side was like a hundred something thousand, but was like, you know, basically shown to more than a hundred million people. So right. whether this had like, you know, the effect that people talk about on the media or not, it's debatable, but in terms of like how, how many times it has shown for the money you put in, mm -hmm. it's, it's a good bargain. Yeah, it seems to me like some of the roots of this go back to like late 1990s sort of viral marketing and, uh, you know, that sort of like dawn of like astroturfing, stealth marketing, using um, uh, mystery and uh, this sort of feeling of grassrootsness to, to get something to spread. Um, have, have you dwelled much on, you, know, you mentioned you worked at Google for a time, but have you, uh, um, do you have a background in, in entertainment or in, uh, in advertising that, that sort of informs this? Because it, it a lot of it seems like it's sort of, it's the similar stuff. The, for me, one of the touchstones is alternate reality games of the early 2000s, right? Um, they, they were really pioneering things like using sock puppet characters, you know, um, creating these sort of fake personalities, putting them online, not marking them as fake, and using that to drive interest and performance through into the into the game system, so I, I'm interested if there are any any threads that you've uncovered that sort of link back out to those kinds of operations. It's clear, you know, we could talk about like connections to you know thinking on propaganda or something like that as a as a military operation. But uh, it seems like there's a lot that's sort of almost been poached right out of uh, entertainment practice. I would say it's kind of like actually close to what you're describing in terms of like marketing strategies. And then the days the more kind of like a little bit like absurd, you know, you the images or the stories that you put out there, the more actually, you know, they thought actually going to get a lot of attraction. And to be frank, and, and, you know, it got more attraction on one side versus another. So when you see actually like particularly with uh, the U.S. election case, there was actually content that was uh, pushed towards both the conservative side and the liberal side. So it was on both sides. And on the conservative side, again, you know, the certain grievances that a lot of conservatives would have regarding the mass media or the government and things of the sort. And on the liberal side, it was like, you know, like, you know, black rights matter and things of the sort. But it happens that on one side, it got really spread way more. Definitely the production toward conservative was more, but the spread on one side was way more than, you know, I think they even expected. Right. So, and a lot of it was like just false, false stories. So... But the more absurd, the more some people liked it. So. Strangely, the more traction some yeah. of the stories would get. Yeah. Um, another huge piece of this, obviously, um, and, and your work addresses this directly in many cases, uh, uh, is the use of bots and, and networks of bots. Um, can you tell me about the sort of first encounters you had with that, how far back that practice goes? Because uh, I think we're all familiar that, that stuff with bots has happened and is happening now. But uh, is, there, is there sort of a deeper history to that that you could share? Well, bots have been used, I think it's like 
bots have been used for years now for like many applications. And I feel people don't realize that we interact with bots all the time. So like the news accounts that get like, you know, that the news pieces that you see on Facebook or Twitter, a lot of it was posted by bots that's working, let's say for New York Times or was working for Washington Post. So I've been dealing with bots all the time, but like bots for like, you know, this kind of malicious activity, I'll say it's a little bit on the newer side, like, you know, years back you saw this was like the brexit you have seen now was like a lot of elections across the globe from korea to brazil to russia in russia itself russia in eastern europe china in china not with elections though <laughs> uh, so so the usage of this like in for political purposes has been a little bit recent but the use of bots for all sorts of purposes have been going on for years now. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I think in one of your papers you mentioned the Chinese, what are, the, what are they called, the 50 centers? 50 centers. Yeah, could you just sort of share what so they these are? These are not like really bots. A lot of them are just normal human, like normal human being. And they're basically, since they're cheap enough, you can hire like an army of people who will like post against people that are against the government. And you have seen this basically, it was like the you know, kind of like the cheap option, although China now definitely uses a lot more sophisticated ways. But like we now have seen it in Egypt and in Turkey, there are a lot of people that are sole job is to troll, to harass, uh, people are against the government. Um, and they do this on a daily basis and you can even sometimes pinpoint IP addresses where they're staying and doing this. But with China, it was like on a massive level that all of those just government employees. So, you know, you work your normal day and you do this for like an hour or two, so. Really interesting. So uh, part, part of your work has been to um, identify bots and also identify um, individuals that are, uh, or at least accounts that are most likely to be the accounts that are, are going to spread um, misinformation once it's sort of left its, its home or, or it's, been, it's been injected into the system by a, by a troll or a bot. Um, and, and you've been using machine learning techniques to do that. So without going into the full detail of, of a very complex set of experiments, could you maybe just sort of outline the recent work that you've done around the 2016 election in that regard in terms of identifying things? Sure. So for trolls, for, for trolls, um, so we started with accounts that was basically was posted uh, by uh, Congress and Twitter overall the list of like troll accounts. But from there onwards, we kind of like got, um, from there onwards, we basically uh, specified the users that uh, retweeted uh, trolls to kind of spread the message. But to be frank, it's not kind of like trolls just send or like produce messages for spreaders. It's an ongoing game. So like trolls will produce stuff, they will retweet it by the spreaders, but the trolls will spread the the tools will, will retweet the spreaders all the time, actually. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like helping each other. I would not be even surprised if some of the spreaders that we say they're spreaders are actually kind of like Russian trolls that would not be, that would not have been like, you know, already kind of like caught by Twitter or like, you know, published uh, basically by the congressional hearings. So it's kind of like an interplay. But in terms of how particularly we uh, caught like bots. Mm -hmm. So with bots, uh, I think one, uh, not thing, but like one of my uh, co-authors and my advisor, Emilio Ferrara, was working on this massive project. So it's a software that basically captures a lot of information about these users. Like who the contact, what kind of messages, what kind of emotions are in the messages, how old is the account, how many followers account. So they use all this information and they have like a golden data set of users that you know are bots. 
and from there onwards, it will see which users are similar to bots on these set of features and will give a score, like a, a belief on like if this uh, account is a bot or not. Uh, it's now like 1.6 thousand features, so it's a lot of features. Because to be frank with like bots in terms of many of these users, you cannot actually know if they're a bot or not just from the message. Because the message can be very similar to a normal user. You have to analyze like the network's dynamics. You have to analyze you know, the metadata about the user to actually get a sense if that user is an automated account or not. Because also a lot of bots also retweet normal accounts. So through the message alone, okay, the message is by a human being. It's a retweet. So, so you look for things like timing intervals between? Yeah, timing intervals is one of the big things for sure. Uh, there are definitely like bots that like, these are not really smart ones that like just retweeting all day long. No human being can right. be retweeting that many numbers across yeah, like 24 all day. 7. 30 like these are not smart bots, but they're definitely smart bots that can mimic human behavior. And more and more, they are in the minority now, but the future is they're not going to be in the minority. Like definitely, if you are like a bot researcher and want to move on the other side, there's a lot of feel like techniques that you'll do unlike how to make kind of bots really mimic human behavior. As of right now, a lot of them are on the cheap side, you know, like, you know, just bots that just retweet. Uh, so these are not very smart, but there's a, in the majority now. Yeah, so, you know, we were talking about this a few minutes ago. Uh, it seems like then we are kind of in this, like, endless arms race, uh, where uh, the, you, a, as we develop better techniques for detecting bots, the bot makers develop better techniques for, for concealing them. Um, so what, what does it all look like in a few years? Do we have um, filters on our Twitter accounts that notify us that, you know, oh, this is a suspected bot or something like that? What's your sort of vision for how some of this gets mitigated um, aside from just sort of these, you know, detection operations, which sometimes, or at least now, seem to come kind of after the fact and maybe not in a timely enough fashion to intervene? Some like kind of like three comments here. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> okay. So I feel like there's kind of like two types of kind of like stopping this kind of content. So there's on one hand the kind of like, you know, that explicitly calls for violence or hate speech, something of the sort. They're still not super easy to detect, but I feel they're getting easier to detect. For these kind of accounts, this kind of message, kind of like they're Companies and a lot of people are leaning towards just like blocking the message, then maybe blocking the account. But then you have a whole gray area where there's implicitly you have hate speech or implicitly you have like calls for violence. What do you do about those? And there's like two dimensions to this. There is one, it's hard technically, because like if you cannot like actually read the message and say, hey, this is violent or not, it's actually hard to train the machine for it. If you as a mm -hmm. human being cannot do so. And then the second point, just kind of like, do you want to give that power to a company? Do you want to give that power to a government? Or where would we going to put the line where, okay, you have the right to say this, even if it's like in this gray area of maybe relating to violence or things of the sort. So that's like um, kind of like another uh, problem that we have. Third one, yes, like I definitely, I, the way I see basically the problems, like when I was talking to you, that like it's kind of like cybersecurity in a way. We going to, block some probably we're gonna have like certain like links to like right information but it's gonna be an ongoing battle there on the other side you definitely know what companies are doing know what we're doing and the update so so you know it, it strikes me that um you know that there's this this effort to mitigate 
um, the actions of malicious actors by uh, you know these various methods, this kind of ongoing, never-ending battle, really. Um, Another piece of it that occurs to, to me, I, I was reading a history of, uh, of Nazi Germany a while ago. And um, you know, one of the things that happened sort of in the lead up, but as we were approaching um, you know, the election of Hitler in 1933, um, that the, uh, the remnants of the democracy there sought to band together eventually and try to find ways to actually you know, counter an issue, to, to deliver counter propaganda. Um, against the Nazis in, in an organized way. Um, but it was too late. By the time they got it together, it was the, the, the tide had turned and, and they were sort of swept away. So is there a spot, and this sort of goes back to bots, is there a spot for kind of like counter uh, botnets? You know, is, is it, do you see anything like that going? Um, and, and, or is it just too late? For, is, it, has the ship sailed in a way on this, this tactic? Um, yeah. I don't think the ship has sailed. It actually has been like an interesting experiment done actually by a focusing at NYU where he, ba he created his own bots and he had like four different types of bots. One that basically a white avatar, like a white person, who had like uh, a lot of followers. He bought the followers, by the way. And one, yeah, you can buy followers for a very cheap price. And one was... Like how much? How much is like a thousand like followers? Look, it's a few cents per like you know per per bot. So. Few cents per follower. That's a great yeah, deal. Yeah, that's that's, that's cheap. Yeah. Uh, okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well, it depends also how sophisticated you want. Right. The yeah. Are. But yeah. if you want like you know, out, eggs, of the, yeah. out of the mill, you know, I was like, yeah, a few cents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and like a white person was like low followers, a black person was high followers, and a and a black person was low followers, and he tried to do an intervention. So basically, you get these accounts normal human beings, users, uh, but he it's only included white users, white male users. And, you know, if a white male user posts something that's racist or misogynist or violent, he will counter that, he will send them a message saying that, like, you know, hey man, this what you have done is, is not cool and things mm -hmm. of sort. Uh, so, the result, the result of this experiment was very interesting. So when another uh, white uh, person with uh, a lot of followers send this kind of message, actually that user stops posting uh, racist or uh, basically like mm. bad material overall. But when an African-American person sends the same message, it's actually like the opposite reaction. So that person just goes on stories and just like, you know, keep posting this, this kind of uh, material. So kind of like a little bit, there have been a, actually few experiments trying to do this sort of thing. And it's like, they're showing mixed results. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Certain in-groups definitely, you know, kind of like in-group effect was kind of high. Out-group was definitely low. So if you're from the opposite side, if you're like Republican trying to infrastructure do something, you might get something. If you're a Democrat trying to like, or yeah. the other way around, yeah. there's like, you might get actually like an opposite effect. So that's why I like, there's a lot of kind of like push for intervention. Intervention may work, but it's also like kind of subtle and nuanced in a way. That, mm -hmm. you know, it's just not like a blanket kind of intervention. I feel may not work. Yeah, and you, and you never know what the sort of unintended consequences of an intervention yeah. might be. And there's also kind of like the whole, they just change medium. So right. if, if you block, there's also kind of thing, like if you block everybody from like a certain group was in like a certain medium, like they're just gonna go to a different one. Except if you block them from every medium out there, which is, I'm not sure we have the ability as of right now, except if you're in China to like do something like that. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, so uh, I, I have a few more questions, but I thought 
we might as well open it up to the room at this point. I can keep filling in with questions, uh, but I'm sure there are some questions in the audience, and it'd be great to get you all involved. Um, anyone, anyone have a question? So recently there was the incident that got revealed at USC about uh, one of the people who worked on the Charlottesville protests. And so we saw a huge backlash on Twitter of how like they actively expose their name and like all their identification info. So would you say that's an effective or ineffective way of uh, stopping like trolling and botting if you like if you can actually like identify, oh, this person's like a troll or a bot, or do you think that's like more harmful than beneficial? As that's also a form of like doxing a person. Just like when we consider doxing, we usually consider it like a conservative attack, but in this sense, it's more of like a liberal attack too. Mm -hmm. You think I'm, 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 I'm not sure, but like to be f like, the problem with this kind of strategy that. Let's say, for example, you expose somebody and you put this picture out there and things of the sort, and like there's like violence, let's say, inflicted upon that person. Um, well, this would be good for the cause or bad for the cause? So there, there's I'm like very conflicted about like the strategy. Or like on one hand, if you do something bad, then like you should be exposed for it. But on the other hand, if basically you are you know if, if something happened to like such a person and it's basically kind of like you know. Uh, producing bad media or like you know bad coverage overall on uh, the liberal cause, is this serving the liberal cause or not? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I I would not have recommended, but again, I, I don't have a strong opinion, and definitely don't have like data-driven kind of uh, kind of uh, opinion on this. So I actually have two comments regarding this. I was asked this question before, and one is like when I actually look at like accounts that I don't know, I actually go back and look at like, but that's you know me is like look at like number of followers, and I look at their feed. If you know if there's, there's something fishy about that account, but again, trying to tell people like, hey, when you look you know at something that like you know an account that you don't know, you should like you know kind of like see what this account has been doing. I, I would say it's kind of hard. So like you know the. Other kind of advice I give people, try to see if this news is, has been covered by like uh, mainstream media. This, this would be my advice. But like, I'm you know, kind of like, sorry to say that like in certain kind of communities, this mainstream media has been giving this label of being, you know, very kind of like, you know, has certain attitudes and like part of a certain camp. So this advice doesn't kind of like work them in a way but at least for me i sometimes if i'm not sure if something happened particularly with pictures you can do all crazy kind of fake pictures right now that fools me myself when i look at these pictures that i have like you know see it's like okay have this been 
like, is this in the mainstream media? Does it show up? So that's usually my, my way of, you know, trying to track something. Yeah, so encouraging people to, to go that extra mile and actually yeah. investigate the source of, of these, this information. But in many cases, you're not going to have people who are inclined to do so. Yeah. For whatever reason, it serves them maybe on some level to take the bottle face value. Yeah, and that's why, like, Facebook, for example, now have, like, all of, like, the I one if, like, really making it easier for you to kind of, like, hey, I'm trying to kind of, like, okay, ministry media has been, like, you know, ministry media kind of link to that story. So that's kind of been, like, done right now. Uh, but are you going to look at the I icon? I'm, I'm not sure. And, again, in certain, for certain people, like, these efforts are also seen as, like, liberal kind of, you know, efforts to... Uh, give actually false information. Right. Which, yeah. So. Yeah, I was going to say that technique of kind of being, you know, aware of the source or maybe more um, of, of questioning the source has also been used to promote conspiracy theories, like you know, paid actors who, right? Like mm -hmm. what are they called distress actors or something, or like. Right? That wasn't real. Crisis actors. Crisis actors, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. like crisis right, actors, yeah. 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 Right? So, yeah, there again, it's like... Yeah, definitely, there is, like, you know, like, from, you know, from the other side, they are producing stuff that's like, hey, we have videos, we have YouTube channels, or, like, YouTube videos showing all sorts of stuff. That's why I was saying, like, you know, mainstream media, like, as, like, ones that you kind of, like, know that will not have, like, you know, just, like, straightforward, like, fake news. But again, in, in the US right now, we don't agree on what is mainstream media anymore. So that's becoming harder and harder. So like, again, if you know, when you read one of my papers, when you look at like the top URLs being shared in the 2016 election from like the conservative side, you thought Breitbart as like one of the top URLs, like top five. And like, unlike straightforward, I would say, fake news spreaders, like outlets and top five of URLs being used millions of times in just my data set. Mm -hmm. So let alone, and this, these, they were seeing this actually, but you know, they were, didn't suspect that was happening in a lot of like, you know, Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. And what do you do about that? And just like, you know, this became the mainstream news. Mm -hmm. So like my advice was, you know, they are the mainstream news for certain people. So, so that definitely is, is quite problematic. I mean, oh yeah, go ahead. already confirms my beliefs. I'm not even motivated, I guess, to like, go and see if the source is credible or not. But if I see something that I find, you know, suspicious or just contrary to my beliefs, then I will go and investigate. But otherwise, I'm just not motivated. There's a PhD student in political science, she works in political psychology, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she knows a lot about this. <laughs> One of the things I find, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, just because uh, something is unappealing to you, because we all have a side that we're on, there's very few of us that are entirely neutral, although there are some of us that come close to it, no one is really neutral. And the fact that uh, something is unappealing to you, and that I don't mean to you, but I'm talking to the room in general, um, uh, and it's not uh, widely carried by mainstream media, and it's carried by the other side that you don't like, uh, doesn't make it false. So, for example, you could be uh, 
pro pro refugee pro immigration and that sort of thing you could be against the fact that uh, Italy is blocking boats from crossing the Mediterranean or that Sweden might begin to restrict stuff so uh, when you see a report come out of the general European community that says a uh, young German woman killed um, uh, three uh, suspects rounded up. Um, they could either be like born in Germany, uh, so legitimate German citizens, but Afghani descent or something like that, or it could say uh, recent arrivals from Ethiopia who have requested but have been denied asylum but have not yet been deported or something. So if you are um, left-leaning and pro-immigrant, you may find this distasteful and you may see it as um, right-wingers attempting to rouse up um, um, anti-immigrant sentiments. The question is more like, is it actually true? Did these people get arrested? Are they as described? You know, are they the nationals from the countries described? Um, did the incident occur? Did it occur where they said it occurred? Um, is this a pattern or is this a single thing that rarely happens and people are trying to make currency out of something that's rare? And a lot of times I'll start searching in different languages. Um, and um, has it turned up in, maybe it's not being covered here in English, but maybe it's being covered in Amsterdam, or maybe it's being covered in Hungary or something, and you don't like Hungary, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And then finally you search like 15 pages deep and you find the police report, or you find that the Washington Post may have covered it, but only one paragraph, and they may have tweeted it out at three o'clock in the morning New York time and never retweeted it. Like the things that they want, they want the American audience to see, they'll put it on an automatic retweet so it comes out every 90 minutes or every two hours. Um, they used to say in case you missed it, but now you just refresh the tweet. Um, if it's something they don't want their audience to see, but they don't want to be accused of not covering at all, um, it'll be tweeted out at an awkward hour and never retweeted again. That's the end of it. And, you know, and I think, I think and, this goes to the point that it's very, um, it's, it's very time consuming and, uh, it, it, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a high bar for many users to do this kind of delving into you know, the, what's fact, what's fiction, what part of this is made up, what part of this is spin. Um, to me, I'm, I feel like, um, you know, we, we could imagine Twitter or Facebook being thoroughly modified to make that easier and faster, you know. But it also seems to me that part of what makes these services work is the speed uh, of the experience, that you can dip into it really quickly while you're standing in line at the coffee shop. Like, in a way, it's almost meant for a very superficial um, experience of the world and experience of news. Um, and so we could imagine the companies changing to obviate that. But then I, I feel like they might be replaced by other companies that give us that sort of speedy experience. 
So I, this is the question I, I would put to you around all of this is, um, you know, uh, what, is there a role here that, is, that should be properly played by government that is not being played by government to, to do a kind of uh, institutional oversight over these different services? And is that even possible? And in lieu of that, what, what sorts of directions should we be looking in for, for some kind of regulation almost? I think of like the, the fairness doctrine in, in broadcast that ended in the, in the 1980s that sort of mandated uh, um, you know, a, a kind of like perspective on truth telling in, in broadcast media. But is, there, is anything like that possible on the horizon anywhere, aside from China? <laughs> So I have a few comments also, a yeah. comment regarding uh, your question. I feel there, there are calls for government that actually come in and intervene. And I think regulation for a lot of aspects of the internet will happen. But Did you say will or won't? Well, uh, but besides kind of like, and actually this goes uh, a little bit to your point, besides coming in and trying to basically stop what would you perceive as just like an obvious kind of like incorrect information, like a fake image or a fake story? It becomes very hard to do anything because like if, if let's say you have an opinion that I disagree with, you're still entitled to express that opinion. And I feel what some communists are trying to do if they don't like this opinion is basically it's like this shadow banning. So like, you know, they don't block your account, but they kind of like don't really show it. Because the thing is, like, yeah, there's a ranking algorithm as a new CPM. So it's like, you know, they, they don't show it uh, as much. Uh, so in that regard, it's kind of like, you know, you're putting definitely the company in a hard position of how to kind of, like, deal with this, although they are trying not to take positions overall. Uh, again, government regulation, besides, you know, your, and which is hard, even that is hard to do, besides, like, the obvious fake news, there's nothing much that you can you can do about that without kind of like coming in and say, hey, this opinion cannot be done or, or cannot be said or cannot be shown, which you know goes again as kind of like the fundamentals of, of our democracy in a way. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the thing that I find uh, particularly challenging about this situation is that I think that um, you know, and this goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about about ISIS a few minutes ago. That there is there is a fun to be had on these social media platforms. That it, and, and the the play that is on offer there, um, you know, which is uh, takes all forms social play, different kinds of like identity performance, just messing around, killing time, all the kinds of things we do on social media. Like that's what draws people into that place. And then that is what being in that place is what makes them manipulable subjects, you know. So um, is maybe a potential solution just simply making things that are a better draw, that draw more people, that, that offer different kinds of or, or richer kinds of play um, than, than, is, than are currently on offer in, in social media. So like, I, I actually have a point regarding this in like the comment you said earlier and your comment as well, which is, Okay, that as in day when basically this news feed kind of started, you want to give people what, in a way, how the algorithm works, what they want to see, and what people like them are actually been viewing, so you give them the same kind of material. So what was this happening was, you know, if you are, you know, conservative, you're liberal, you're actually being shown, you know, the stuff that you would like. So this what's been 
like happening overall. But there is now kind of a, like a move to kind of like, okay, we cannot just do like a simplistic machine learning approach. Simplistic machine learning approach is like, if you like stuff, as in you engage with it, you like, you, you know, spend a lot of time looking at it, you click on it, I'll just show you more of that. This is what's happening. So there was no kind of like repressing on the ranking angles and stuff like that happening much before like 2016. Uh, but like right now it's like, okay, are we just gonna continue doing so or are we gonna, gonna go in and, and you know, try to change how this actually is working? And this is just like, and uh, to be frank, on that point, I feel sympathetic, you know, sometimes like with, with uh, some of the internet companies, it's like, where should you draw the line? You know, it's you being criticized from both sides. Yeah. Like as of right now, you're being criticized from like basically liberals of like, hey, you're uh, letting misinformation, and you're being criticized by conservatives saying you're limiting us on the platform. Mm -hmm. So, and with government not also like saying much, and actually the government itself is being divided on what internet companies should be doing. I think you know what it, one thing it's done is it's brought to the fore the fact that they are doing social engineering. They are. That yeah. they always have been so, doing yeah, social engineering, and now the fact that in some ways there's maybe this push to pull people out of these kind of atomized silos that they've been algorithmically put into, is is making people conscious of the fact that they have been sorted in those ways. Um, but yeah, it's a very tricky problem. How do you back out of that once you've done that? I think I, sometimes I think of the internet almost as a kind of distilling, like a, a still or an alembic that, that sorts and, and atomizes people by bringing them together into, you know, it's sort of a paradox. It, it tears us apart by bringing us together. Actually, like, this problem is not only a, like, a social network. It's all over the place. So let's say, like, Google search engine. You put in... This is actually like a real issue we had, but without mentioning details. Like, let's say uh, females from a certain gender, from a certain race group. You put in, uh, and the images comes have like certain connotation. And like, why is this certain connotation actually like shows up? Because people who put in this like search words click on those. So you get the result that people like you, not like you, like, you know, people with the same like, you know, features that you, like, you know, actually engage with. So, should you go in and give the, the people the result that they want, or you should go in and say, I wanna give something different except if you specify. So, and this, like, an ongoing issue is like, how overall machine learning frameworks work, is like, I give you what you and people like you have been engaging with, should I do that all the time, or do sometimes, should I come in and, and social right yes yeah. so, for your own good I'm going to show you this thing I know you won't like yeah <laughs> so or should I show you both or you <laughs> yeah. know and should as a company like I go in and do that should the government tell me that should be like the social consensus it's yeah and I feel like a lot of fingers are being pointed at the companies to do something I feel like mm -hmm. it's almost like a societal issue overall like mm -hmm. you know but it's really kind of like a mirror of our problems yeah so yeah more, more questions some hands. Yeah. Uh, but is for Google, I think, and like other social media media websites, I think it's also an issue of revenue, correct? Because the information yeah. you're sending to people, like both in their searches and in their advertisements, both also come from information that Google wants. So do you think that like curbing the amount of information Google is allowed to uh, disseminate to advertisers or uh, Google's allowed to keep 
on them by uh, for themselves would uh, stop like uh, tribalism between like liberals and conservatives. That's a great point, and actually not only relates to like liberal conservatives. So we have basically advertisers at the end of the day, like. But years ago, 89% of Google's money, for example, came from ads. So ads, you know, is the main venue for most of these companies. And as a result, sometimes like need certain things. So they need, they actually like this correlation between that group and this product. They have no problem putting this group under this category because, you know, it makes money. It makes it easier to kind of like, you know, send this kind of ads. And to certain times, particularly when the company is, is starting, it's like, you know, you definitely do what advertisers, you know, kind of want you to do because you need to make money through the store. But at a certain point, you kind of like, okay, I can lose money, but like, I want to kind of like, you know, for example, de-bias like the internet or these kind of like projects. So a lot of companies are finding like optimal points of like maybe sometimes not making the advertisers happy, but doing like what they perceive to be the right thing, but not definitely all the way because like, you know, it's, you need to still like make money so it's, it's an ongoing, like finding that optimal point for, for companies. And what I've seen this was like Twitter and Facebook, for example, closing so many accounts. Like Twitter have closed like, you know, 15, 20% of like, you know, basic accounts. And all of it was like bots or trolls or things of the sort. So that's not good for business. But, you know, they finally like said like, okay, we need to do this. And same thing was like Facebook and all the military they were trying to do. And they, you know, took ahead in the stock market for it. So, but they, they can take a hit now. Yeah, they can afford <laughs> to lose a little bit. They can bit. afford a hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, any other questions from there? Yeah. I want to ask, um, we're talking very specifically about a problem that's come up with the age of the internet, and I wanted to ask you if you feel like there's something specifically about the internet that causes this to happen more or in a different way, or do you think that this is something that was also a problem with print media before the age of the internet that's hmm. simply on a bigger scale now? There are definitely similarities, but for me, like the big difference is the personalization. So, like pinpointing, and just like a real byproduct of like machine learning frameworks. So, before it's like okay, there are certain mediums that you would read if you believe in certain things or part of a, like a group or whatever, and there's other mediums. But like right now, I'm I'm pinpointing at you. I'm like knowing every like everything that you like and people like you like, and just gonna give you the stuff that reinforces your beliefs. You can live your life and not only kind of like, okay, read the paper that says what you, you know, uh, think is right, but also showing people, you know, on your feed and, uh, you know, that you interact with, showing the same thing. You live sometimes like ending up living in a world that's like, oh yeah, the, you know, my, my, my opinions make sense. Everybody is kind of like, you know, doing the thing that I'm doing and, and it's like, you know, I'm right. So, so yeah, so in that regard, I see a difference. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a presentation from one of the principals at, Cambridge Analytica, just going through all the ways that they would target people, get all this really granular information about individuals, and then that would be mapped to this sort of psychographic research yeah. that they had, so that it wouldn't just be the content, but it would even be things like the color yeah. of the advertisement, and the font used, and the size of the font, and all those things would be algorithmically dealt out to, to these individuals to, to, to hit them like in an optimally effective way. So it wasn't just the message, but also even the form of the message being algorithmically determined, which seems to portend some futures that are kind of alarming. What, what are you most alarmed about when it comes to the future? <laughs> <laughs> 
Fang is like, and this is, it's related to, to the ad, but also like, you know, goes beyond the ad and like across a lot of different countries. It's kind of a little bit like sad that what you see in a lot of countries right now, the internet is becoming just like a, a closed like river within that country. So I think I was talking to you about this, that like a lot of governments have like learned, like pretty much from their mistakes. And what they're doing right now is like, if you post something they don't like, you're in prison. I, you know, there's people that I know, some of them personally are not like, you know, just know of them. It was like three years later, like, you know, like government in Turkey or like government in Egypt, they go and arrest you for like a tweet that you have put. Like literally, there are some people in Turkey that have been arrested for tweets they have put like three years ago. And like, and, and definitely from looking back from like, you know, the Arab Spring and like, you know, like, you know, uh, Twitter and Facebook being a medium for democracy, you know, you have basically approved for what you have said like years back and being used against you. So it's kind of a little bit sad to see that what, you know, the internet is, you know, kind of like converting into like just like almost like tutorial waters. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, my kind of controls this part of the internet and like it all controls this part of the internet and it's not what it's meant to be. So. It's not that sort of borderless utopia of ideas yeah, that, <laughs> that we were told it might be. Yeah. It's a little bit naive, but like on the other hand, kind of like being compartmentalized in that way. And, you know, it, it's definitely sad to see. Yeah. And so your sense is that that, can, that sort of territorialization it's is just really growing. Continue. Yeah. yeah, it's really growing. Um, well, a couple um, more questions. You, yeah? you said that uh, people are becoming more sophisticated in their use of imagery. Um, and one of the things that I notice, um, I wonder if you could comment back at me, is that, um, again, we wish to believe what we want to believe. So an image may be real, like not an edited or made up image, but it may be taken from someplace else. So for example, let's say somebody uh, wants to say that uh, this person, this teenage boy, uh, died in a battle in Libya or something today, but they actually take a photo of somebody of a similar age group that was killed in a battle in, in Iraq or something three weeks ago or two years ago. Um, and to the average person, it just if they want to believe that that person was shot down by uh, the government's military, uh, they believe it because um, it it looks like they don't they don't search it further. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a brown boy that was somewhere between the age of twelve and eighteen, you know, got shot, and that passes good enough for me. Uh, and it's retweeted immediately if um, and, and it goes viral among that group of people that's interested in that particular cause or that particular battle. Is it often a real photo, like that's been stolen from another it from another battle? It happens all the time. Like grabbing photos from like even like three years ago and five years ago doesn't even have to be like you know within a year and being used in a different context. You know, it's something that you know definitely a lot of uh, from boss to trolls do it all the time. So, but even even the White House just yeah. did it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, even yeah. if somebody is not a bot or a troll, let's say um, somebody, somebody has yes, because a lot of normal users are still very very active retweeters on on the subjects that they care about passionately. So let's say for example, you could have a Pakistani account or something 
that's bought-ish, you know, that seems entirely dedicated only to, to attacking Indians that believe that Kashmir and Ladakh should belong to India. And the, the account seems to d be devoted to that and nothing else. But uh, most are not like that. Most might be, you know, uh, a Pakistani who, um, who s says, you know, I love cricket and I'm, an in, I'm uh, uh, getting my master's in engineering and I like, on the weekend, I like taking long walks in the Himalayas and feeling the wind blow through my hair. And only part of their um, thing is devoted to uh, tweeting how awful Indians are and blah, 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 Kashmir. But whenever the opportunity comes their way, you know, if they see something like that come through their feed, they nevertheless don't ignore it. This is an important subject to them, and they will still retweet it without looking to see did the incident actually occur or um, even though this is my side, the incident did not occur. It happens, like def definitely. Like, are, are, is your question that people do it without knowing, or is it used intentionally for? It, it's for, that for it's that when a person appears, a person or an account, it's a real person, and they appear to be a well-rounded person, sure. and often they're educated. We like to say that people that we don't agree with are um, are morons or idiots or you can go more severe on your insults, but often people who we disagree with may not be idiots, like that guy in Pakistan may actually be a, or female even, can actually be a very smart, educated person who disagrees with the Indian person on the other side who is also very smart and educated. And these accounts are not going to get shut down. They're avid retweet. You can be smart, but you can still retweet information that's a lie. Is there a specific question? Because we should probably move on to... to it's that what, what do we do when smart people retweet things that are lies? Smart, real, actual people who are not bots um, well, are frequent retweeters of lies. I've retweeted stuff that I've later found to be uh, inaccurate information or, uh, or wrong. What, what should I do when I do that? Uh, well, <laughs> hang my head in shame. Uh, yeah. We can all pray much like, you know, sometimes, you know, saying something is true and we share it once or things are sore. But if you constantly, the thing is like, this is like a one point kind of thing. Well, if you're constantly sharing stuff that's not true, but let's say you're from users that... But you wish to believe it's true, and so uh, you sure, but believe, like, you believe it's true. Sure, but like from users that are, you know, do this for a living, a lot of times, like, you know, platform like Twitter or Facebook or this sort, already would have, like, stopped this kind of accounts, or they can even send you a message that, hey, and they have done this with like, the Russian trolls, like, hey, you're interacted with Russian trolls, and sometimes we give you, like, okay, on this part, or, like, you know, this time, things of sort. So, there different ways like a company can approach this. Like when, if you are always posting uh, fake news, yeah, you might get stopped. It's like, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but in the beginning, if you're basically just sharing things from 
fake you know, like bots or bad users or things of sort, or from a user that was, that was closed, they can give you kind of like, hey, you know, there have been like a bot or a troll that you, you have been interacting with. So, and you can even give like warnings, for example, that you have been sharing a lot of fake news that these are not true. Uh, but so if you continue doing so, yeah, you might get stuck. So, you know, I, I can see, you know, uh, it coming down to trust and the trust of the companies, yeah. you know, that, um, oh, this message I've received alerting me that this is fake news, I believe that message. And I, I think that's, that's sort of I f what I find most intractable about this crisis right now around facticity and, um, you know, w where is the sort of ground truth that we, we can all agree on? And I think it's, um, it's almost like we're at a point of polarization in this country where any claim to the truth is automatically read as some kind of like political initiative. Um, and, and yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll let you close out with, with what is, where do you see hope in the, in the next uh, you know, five or six years for us all around this kind of issue? Because I think a lot of us are pretty, I'm just sort of super concerned about this stuff. So yeah, I, I'm hoping you can give me some reason to Feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll give more of a neutral comment that, like, I, I really believe that like, a, a lot of the problems that you find online is, again, a byproduct of what's happening in society. So if American society overall becomes less polarized or, or the political discourse in this country gets better, I do believe that it will get better on the online uh, platforms as well. But if not, you'll continue to have the same problems online, and you will have the opportunities for external and internal users to use it to their benefit. Mm -hmm. so. Great. Well, so uh, any, any last questions for Adam? If not, let's hear it for Adam. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a really great conversation, and uh, you're welcome to come anytime. <laughs> sure. Play with our toys. <laughs> Thank you all okay. for coming.